0: at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.
1: That is a worldwide known evangelist, Michael Tyson. Now, I know everybody in here that heard of Mike Tyson. And when I watched this video, it's funny how God begins to speak and he showed me the church and he said look at Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was typically smaller with much less reach than the people he was fighting against. Now every the beginning of every boxing match they have this thing called the tail of the tape. They talk about how much a man weighs compared to his opponent. They talk about his height. And there's a distinct number called reach. How long are your arms? What is your reach? And Mike Tyson had a 71-inch reach. And he was typically fighting people 75, 77-inch reach, 80-inch reach, 82-inch reach. But why is reach important? Reach allows me to stand further away from you and still strike, which is really important if I'm trying not to get hurt. I'm trying not to take a hit. I really don't want to get that close to you. So I use my reach. And the Holy Spirit began speaking and said, that's part of the problem with today's church. We have a whole lot of reach. We don't really want to get that close. Oh, we're in the fight. We're in the ring but we're not really fighting to win. We're fighting for the bell. We want to last the 12 rounds and let it go to the judges. And the Holy Spirit said, now look at Mike Tyson. Notice, he fights with no fear. His whole aim is to get as close to you as possible because he realizes that even though you have reach, the further away you are, the less of an impact your hits have. So Mike Tyson said, I'm going to get as close to you as I can. I'll take a hit. I'll take two. The fear of getting hurt doesn't even enter my mind because I realize that if I impact you the way that I can, the power that I have within me can really only be generated when I'm up close to you. So we watched that film, and I remember I was maybe less than 10, I was born in 1980, so a lot of these fights, I was seven, eight, nine years old, and I remember family members being angry (laughs) because pay-per-view cost. And if anybody know how boxing matches work, they don't put the main fight on first. Fights started like seven o'clock. So you watching fights from 7 pm. Mike didn't fight till 10: 1030. You'd invited all your friends over because again, since pay-per-view costs, we all putting in on this. Five dollars ahead. Come on in. We've sat up half the night. We excited about Mike Tyson? 12 seconds into the fight. Mike then hit the brother so hard, you hurt. (laughs) Dude ain't getting up and you angry. Get up! I paid $150 for this fight. You can't get up. Them brothers was getting hit so hard. The impact on their life was felt to such an extent that it changed the entire outcome of the fight. Mike Tyson is teaching us that as a church, we've got to stop fighting not to lose. As a church, we have to understand that we've got to start getting close to people. The impact that we should be having, we're not because we just want to stand back and use our reach and jab a little bit. We just want to You a couple times. We want to say we was in the room. We want to say we were in the ring, but we didn't really hit. But we didn't get hit either. Playing it safe. You would hear all of the fighters, all of the boxers. What's the tale? How do you beat Mike Tyson? You don't let him get next to you. You got to keep him away from you. You got to use your reach. You got to move. You got to stand back. Don't let him crowd you. anybody heard of a man named Buster Douglas Mike Tyson was running roughshod through the heavyweights and there was a man named Buster Douglas that said you know what I don't mind taking a hit either we as a church are missing the root of what the church was built around and this is why we started to lose our effectiveness because we don't understand the power that Jesus has placed within us when we get in close proximity with the people we're trying to reach. So let's ask the question of why are people leaving the church? The church has strict expectations on conduct, dress code, and a common language that's not always understood by those who have not yet been institutionalized. See, the church has become an institution. Where we train you how to act, we have our laws, rules, and regulations. And if you don't fit the description, you're not really made welcome here. There's a host of unspoken rules to follow. The focus is on tradition and individual self-preservation. I remember going to—I uh, grew up Church of God of Christ—and I got a chance to go to the Ames Convention in Tennessee. And anybody that knows the Ames Convention, this thing is massive. It's a huge thing. Um, Churches from all over the nation come. And I remember speaking to a lady behind the welcome desk. She was one of the hotel employees. And, you know, she asked me what my name was. And I said, my name is Jay English. And she was like, yeah, but what's your title? I was like, I don't know, brother. And she was like, no, you know, is it pastor? Is it bishop? Is it? I was like, no, no, just... You know, if you want to put something down, put minister music, it don't really matter. She said, you would not believe how I've been treated today. I've learned don't mess up people's titles. Now, this is the church convention, right? Pastors are here. This is not your congregation members. These are the ones that are running the churches. And she's saying she's been everything but cussed out today. Because you called a brother pastor, but he was district elder. But we're the church, right? You're supposed to be reaching people, right? Focusing on self preservation. And challenges to either tradition or self preservation are met with strong resistance. Strong <laughs> resistance. The church as an institution is program and event driven. The primary goal is to get people into the building, not to get into their lives. Now, don't get me wrong. uh, People can be seen as projects and as a number to be added to the books. And this is great for transfer growth if you're bringing in people from other churches who look at your institution and say, oh, well, you're doing it a bit better than we are. Or I'm tired of what's happening at my institution. Or you have a bit more knowledge than I have and I'm willing to move to yours. But the average person on the street is no longer interested in being institutionalized. And what I'm finding out is a lot of church folks aren't either. They're growing tired of the same old same old. They're growing tired of coming in and seeing the same things happen and of not seeing change but only talking about it. And while we are technically reaching more people than ever, the church as an institution will continue to struggle with impacting the lives of our friends and our family as an institution. So I want to read you, and we'll jump into this, and I'm not going to be before you long. But it's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is going back to the root of the church. This is going back to the origin of the church. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved so when we ask why are people leaving the church as an institution the answer is the church was never meant to be an institution the church was created to be a community See, we have to understand that we all we all have a need for community and I don't care how much money you have I don't care how much entertainment you bring into your life you can't replace that See, there are groups on social media, of people who have never met in person, but they talk every single day. They send inboxes, they send crazy posts, they put memes up, they're in community. I have group chats with some people here at this church, and a lot of times I don't see them on Sunday, but we talk all week, and we ain't always talking about Jesus We're talking about sports. We're talking about life. We're talking about who's applying to what job, what's going on in your life, how are things here, what's happening there. We're in community. See, back then, the original church was built on four principles. The apostolic teaching of the word is the first one. Fellowship, they met together daily. They got to know each other. Something that I was taught is you can't change a person's life till you know their name. Why would you really listen to me speaking into your life on a one-on-one situation and I don't know your name? We're talking about lasting transformation. We have the apostolic teaching. We have fellowship sharing. The needs that you had, if I had the resources to provide, we met them. We shared meals together. We just went out to eat. We laughed. We talked in prayer. Now, as churches, what we typically do really well, the apostolic teaching, we're going to teach from the Bible. And we're definitely going to pray. But we miss out on fellowship and sharing. Because, see, in a community, my problem is your problem. And I'm not left to face my battles by myself. When I disappear for two or three weeks, you notice. In community. See, in the institution, if I've disappeared for two, three weeks, I just drop you from the roster. They didn't make the cut. They weren't strong enough. They didn't really love Jesus. They weren't ready for this level of anointing. The devil is a liar. In community, when I see my brother struggling, I do not just walk past him. I go and lift him up. Because in community, we've been in fellowship. I know your name, and I know when you're missing. I can tell by the look on your face. Something going wrong with you today. What's happening? Oh, nothing. No, you lying. (laughs) Because I know you. And when I know someone, I can challenge them and say, hey, don't tell me nothing's wrong. Just say, let's talk about it later. Okay, okay, let's talk about it later. Because I know something's going on because we have a relationship. And what I love about this is that as a community of believers, and that's what the church is, we're called out. We're a community of believers. We are to represent the very body of Jesus Christ. As a community, we're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We should be the physical representation of Jesus on earth. So the things that Jesus would have done or did do, we as a body should be continuing to do those. Amen? You with me so far? And I have to set this foundation for us to really understand where we're going. Because, see, Jesus knew that true impact comes through relationship. This is why that video was so hilarious to me because the church, the institutionalized church, believes that impact comes through reach. The more people we reach with our message, the more missionaries we send out, the more folks we send, the more things we do, the more programs we have, the more events we put on, we're being impactful. Not necessarily. Because I can have a message And I can put it out on Facebook and reach all 12,000 of my friends. And absolutely none of them act on what I ask them to do. Plenty of reach, no impact. But Jesus knew it a little different. He said, if I impact people, they will provide me with the reach that I'm seeking. So he flipped it. He switched it around. And to help you understand that, as an example, everyone in here has heard of or seen or read about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is walking through the mountain, and people are following him. Now, the Bible says 5,000 men. What that typically means, they're not counting the women or the children. So this could have been anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people following Jesus. And he sits down by the side of a mountain and he preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we know it as in the Bible. Over 5,000 people are reached with a message. Their lives are affected. They're touched. But what we know is there are so many in this group that didn't really come to hear a message. They came to see Jesus do something they never seen before. I heard this brother is raising folks from the dead. I heard he is healing people. People are coming with ulterior motives. They didn't come to hear the word. They came because I want healing. Now, I will listen to your word if that means I might see a miracle today. But we as the church today, if you're not here for the right reasons, you need to get out. Your motives ain't pure. I don't really care what your motive is. I just want you here. I just need you to hear what we're saying. So Jesus reached over 5,000 people with an incredible message that day. But you know what's weird to me? The Bible never mentions what happened to any of them. What was the impact for those individuals that heard these messages? We don't hear a book. I don't know of any books. (laughs) The one from the 5,000. I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know what cities they went back to. Not saying that there wasn't, but I don't have anything to go off of. But compare that to the three years Jesus spent with his disciples. You've got 5,000 that he reached on one side. You have 12 that he impacted On this side. Impact, impact. He lived three years of his life with them. Out of the 12, we know that one of them didn't quite make it. And even as he decided to do wrong, Jesus loved him anyway. Knew he was going to betray him. He impacted their lives to such an extent that these disciples who ran when Jesus was first caught, if you look at the end of their stories, they gave their lives willingly for the gospel because of the impact he had on them. They took this message worldwide. We are right now reading out of books that these people wrote of what they saw and experienced Walking with Jesus. We're talking about impact today. 2,000 years later, talking about what Jesus did. But Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus did not have social media. He was not taking selfies as he healed the blind man. Y'all know some of us, we we know we would have been on there taking selfies. We would have went live. All right, y'all, I'm getting ready to heal. This man, he ain't walked in 38 years. Somebody get the right angle. Get this side. (laughs) So how is it that in an an age where there was none of that, 2,000 years later, we are still talking about what Jesus did but he never wrote a book, he never took a picture, he never had a TV show, he never had a podcast, he never went live. The people that he impacted told the story. And then they impacted people and they told the story. And then they impacted people and they told the story. I'm gonna do something today and I'm gonna ask you to go with me and it might make some of you uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. This is a live experiment of how impact leads to reach. Now, I've been here at this church for six years. Hopefully during that six years, I have built up some trust with you. Where you believe what I say, you believe I love God with all my heart, and that the things I do and say has an impact on you. Not just through what I say, but how I live but there's people in your life that I cannot reach. And I can't even impact them to an extent to where I can really can reach them, but you can. So for those that are willing, as I'm going into the last portion of this sermon, I'm asking you to take out your phone. Y'all like, take out my phone. Now I know some folks is like, Pastor Jay, we don't do phones in this church. I'm going to ask you to log into your social media account because you're going to help me preach this. And I'm going to give you a couple seconds for those that are able, for those that are willing. I don't care if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever. If you want to go live, feel free. But we're going to experiment today. I'm going to give you the four things, and these are the keys to Jesus' impact on And as I give you each of these, I want you to just put it in a post and hit send. We're going to preach to everybody today. Because while I can't reach them, you can. So the key to Jesus' impact on people was time. T-I-M-E. Now, each of these letters is important, because if you leave any of those letters out, not only do we not spell the word, we don't have the action that I'm going to teach you about. So the first thing that Jesus did, the letter T equals time. And that's all you got to put in there. We must be willing to spend time with people outside of the church. That's it. We must be willing to spend time with people outside of the church. Jesus did a lot of great things in the synagogue. There are healings and miracles that he did. At the age of 12, he was speaking and teaching in the church. But there's so much more that he did outside of the church. He spent time with the disciples, so we've already talked about that. Three years of time doing life together, talking, asking questions, correcting them when they wanted to do crazy stuff. Some of us, we get rid of people when they do crazy stuff. Don't get rid of them, love them, correct them, keep doing life with them. Jesus had two crazy disciples that got angry because they went to a city and nobody wanted to listen to them. These clowns came back to Jesus. And they said, Lord, should we call fire down on them? This is in the Bible, y'all. I'm so serious. He said, should we call fire down on them? You know what? Sometimes you need somebody to tell you to go somewhere and sit down. (laughs) No, we're not calling fire down on people. (laughs) Jesus said, if they don't receive you, just wipe the dust off your foot. Don't call fire on them you just planting water. Maybe somebody else will be able to reach him later. He spent time with the woman at the well. He had a conversation with somebody that culturally he never should have been speaking to. Through that conversation, she brought an entire city to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. One conversation. Zacchaeus, and maybe you don't know who Zacchaeus was, but in Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be a guest of a sinner. Sound like church folks. you supposed to be Jesus. Why are you hanging out with him? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. We're talking about impact. Understand that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. One of the most hated people in the Jewish nation was a tax collector. You was a trader. You were working for the Romans. Tax collectors typically got rich because they would charge you taxes in excess of what you actually owed. You owe $500 in taxes? Well, I'm charging you $850, and I'm keeping $350 for me. You have no recourse because I work for the Romans, and if you say anything, I will turn you in. So for Zacchaeus, who has become wealthy off the backs of the Jewish nation, to look at Jesus and say, not only am I going to give half of my possessions to those that don't have, everyone I have cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times. Can you imagine somebody cheating you out of some money? Somebody, anybody here ever been cheated out of some money? Doesn't nothing make you madder than when you've been cheated out of some money and you see the person and they act like they don't remember they cheated you out of some money? Maybe it's me. I struggle. You know you owe me $5. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> Y'all pray for me. But if I know you owe me $5 and you walk back up and say, Pastor Jay, here's 20 You just impacted me. Now I want to know what happened. Can you imagine Zacchaeus showing up at people's homes? repaying them four times the amount and people are asking why are you doing this and he uses it as an opportunity to tell them about the man named jesus we're talking about impact what would make someone who cheated me give me four times the amount back i'm interested in that story we're talking about impact Let's go to the letter I. The letter I is for inconvenience. We must be willing to be inconvenienced. Do y'all know there were so many times Jesus was doing something else? Was trying to get away, was trying to spend some time in peace, was trying to get a nap. And people interrupted him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from those who want to borrow from you. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to do more than what you planned Are you willing to stay longer than you initially wanted to? Nicodemus came at night to talk to Jesus. Anybody ever get a phone call after about 8 p.m. and you don't want to answer? Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter when a woman pushed her way through the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Jesus was sleeping on The bottom of a boat when his disciples came and shook him. Care you not that we're gonna die? And I can hear the irritation when he wakes up and says, Oh, you little faith. (laughs) But he gets up and he calms the storm. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Let's go to him. M is for minister. And I know we as a church, oh yeah, we minister. We I minister wherever I go. Do you understand that the term minister as a verb is defined to meet the needs of? Oh yeah, it's quiet. I love this. Because see, there's a lot of people in the world who claim to be ministers. Or claim to be ministering. Well, Jesus, he called me to minister. Yeah, but you ain't meeting no real needs. Well, Pastor Jay, I meet I I'll be praying for folks, I meet spiritual needs. Jesus met spiritual and physical needs. Why are we talking about this? Because if you walk outside of this building and you look at the surrounding community, there are real physical needs. And when the rioting happened and we as a church started going outside of the building, one of the things we heard continually is, where have you been? Well, we're right here, 3725 North Sherman Boulevard. We know the whole spiel. We have service every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock and 11 a.m. Wednesday night, we got Bible study. Well, I'm not really interested in Bible study when I'm hungry. I'm not really interested in your 8 a.m. service when my lights are out. I can't get a job. I have a felony on my record, and I don't know what to do. But your answer is for me to come to church. But I got two kids to feed, and I'm trying to keep from going back and slinging rock to make this money. Are we really willing to minister and meet real needs? When one of your family members needs a place to stay, are you willing to open up your home? Ooh. Uh-huh, y'all laughing. <laughs> because when it starts getting real, but not understanding that if I do open up my home, how many more conversations about Christ could I have with you sitting here? I'm asking about impact. ministering. Jesus healed the blind, the lame, and the sick. Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus gave his own life so that we wouldn't lose ours. There was a need that Jesus met, not just spiritual, but also physical. There are many times Jesus healed a person, provided for the need, and then directed them from a spiritual level of, don't go back and do that, though. Go and sin no more. Jesus is meeting the needs of the people around him. And the E coming to a close. E stands for everyone. Everyone deserves the unconditional love of God. Every person you meet, every person you walk by, Every person you talk to at the gas gas station, every person you're walking on the street and see, when you're outside your home and someone's walking their dog, they deserve the unconditional love of Christ. I got some scripture to back that up. Matthew 22 and 39 says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I love Luke chapter 6, 32 through 35 tells us if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? (laughs) Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Oh, he bringing it down. Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And I know, y'all, I know I have been unthankful and I've been very wicked in times past. And he never gave up. He never quit loving me. He never walked away from me. He never told me, no, I'm not going to watch over you. I'm not going to look out for you. John 13, 34, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We got a lot of people claiming to be church folks, but I'm promising you they are not disciples. And the world is noticing. One of the biggest things you hear, I know I hear it, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And I got enough of them out here in these streets. But at least the ones in the streets is honest about it. Because when you really, really love people, it doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter where they come from, doesn't matter what they smell like, doesn't matter what they dress like, I'm just going to love you for who you are. John 15 and 12 says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And 1 John 4 and 7 says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Time. T, time. I, willing to be inconvenienced. M, minister, willing to meet the needs of those around me. E, everyone deserves the love of God. Media team, I'm going to ask for you to go ahead and put up that last picture. And we're going to end on a story that I came across on Facebook. And I feel like it brings everything into focus one of my favorite places on earth to go to is Chick-fil-A. Now I'm not into this whole Popeye's, Popeye sandwich, it don't compete. I don't know why folks is. Popeye's can't even serve me a sandwich because half the time they out of chicken anyway. Don't show up, you tell me it's a 10 minute wait on mild and 15 minute on spicy. The devil, I'm going to chick fil I Bet you they got some chicken ready. <laughs> and they'll give it to me with a smile. I was so confused, I went to Chick-fil-A one time and she was like, I'm so happy to serve you. Really? Thank you! I've never heard that before in Milwaukee! (laughs) (laughs) I almost bought something else at the window just to hear it again. But there's a lady and I went to her page. This has been shared a number of times, but she was having a breakdown in her car. She doesn't go into detail about what it was about or what was happening. She just says that she literally broke down in her car. She she went to get something to eat. She's crying, tears, eyes are red and puffy, and she was like, it was late. I have two options. I can either go into this store with my puffy red face, try to clean myself up some, or I can try to figure out something else to eat and there's no guarantee I'm going to make it anywhere else. She decided to go inside. She places her order. And five, six minutes later, the lady brings her her food, and she hands her a cup of ice cream. <laughs> she's like, you know, well, I, this isn't mine. This is someone else's. And the lady said, no, it's for you. It seems like you're having a pretty rough day, and I just wanted to do something to help make it better. So the lady is already like, man, thank you. She goes home and opens up everything and she realizes her meal has been supersized for free. And she didn't notice that there was a note on the side of the cup that says, we hope your day gets better. This is an example of time. The time it took for this young lady to go get approval from her manager to get the supersized meal. She went and found a pen. I'm sure this was an inconvenience. There's other things she could have been doing. She writes a note on the side of it, fixes ice cream for somebody who didn't order it. She noticed a need, and she said, I'm going to minister to it. I don't even know what's going on, but I can tell something is happening. And based off of the resources that I have in this moment... I'm going to minister to your needs because everyone deserves love. So she does this, just small thing, small thing, you all, small thing. This young lady gets home and she takes a picture of it and she posts it to Facebook. Understand the amount of money that companies pay for marketing millions of dollars. This woman's post has 75,000 likes, 2,900 comments, and has been shared 22,000 times. The lady behind that counter impacted one life. One life. And through that one life, the reach she's reaching 22,000 shares 75,000 likes this thing is still being passed around people are talking about I've had similar experiences at Chick-fil-a when you go there they treat you like when I tell you I'm reading through the comments and people are praising Chick-fil-a for the experience And it doesn't matter what Chick-fil-A you go to, Christians, it doesn't matter what Chick-fil-A you go to, the experience should be the same. It doesn't matter what church you go to, the experience should be the same. All the original church cared about was people. They didn't invite them to an institution. They welcomed them into a community. And this is the reality of who we are and what we're trying to do. And I need everyone to look at this and understand such a small thing can have such incredible impact. Are we looking, church, to have impact, or are we just trying to stay in the fight and waiting for the bell to ring? I need everyone here to understand that my challenge to you is that every person in here start making time for people. I want you to begin leaning into inconvenience instead of complaining about it. Because our attitudes get real nasty when we get inconvenienced but it's in your inconvenience you have a chance to share your testimony. I want everyone here to look for chances to minister and meet the needs of the people God brings into your life. And I challenge every believer under the sound of my voice that every person you come in contact with begin loving them unconditionally regardless of where they are, who they are, how they are, this is what Jesus did that impacted the world. It's simple. It's easy. Jesus wasn't run in programs. Events are good. I run events. I'm happy for them. However, the event is not the end all. Because after the event is over, now what? We're going to be coming to you in a few weeks. We're working on an initiative that's going to allow us as a church to start responding to some of the violence that's going on within Milwaukee. There's been some tragic deaths of young people. And families are left without resources, left without who to call, how do I make this work. They're trying to grieve while also figure these things out. We're trying to put together a team here at this church that will be a first responders team. To help meet the real needs of Milwaukee. Because we're seeing them. This is what Jesus called us to do. Make time. Welcome inconvenience. Meet needs. Spiritually and physically. And to love everyone. And if we begin doing this... With all my heart, I believe that God will go back to what he did in Acts chapter 2, where it said, and God began adding daily to their fellowship, not their institution, not their building, to their fellowship.
0: Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.